This episode is brought to you by Element. That's L-M-N-T. What's Element? Element is the product that came into my life at exactly the right moment. I've been training hard. I've been sweating like a maniac. But unfortunately, after my sessions, I could never kick that feeling of dehydration. It didn't matter how much water I drank. In fact, the more water I drank, the worse it got. My body was telling me, you need more. You need electrolytes. But I refused to go and buy some sugary sports drink and put that garbage into my body. Enter Element. What's Element? It's a tasty electrolyte drink mix. That's right. I said tasty. They have seven different flavors. My personal favorite is mango chili. But most importantly, it's got no sugar. It's got no gluten. It's got no garbage. It's got no guilt. Take it. You'll feel better. You won't feel like a bum after you drink it. You won't feel any guilt after taking it. To get your element today, go to drinklmnt.com backslash George Mahoney. Again, that's drinklmnt.com backslash George Mahoney. Get yours today. Welcome to another episode of the Advanced Training Podcast. At first, I was going to say that this episode really isn't for everybody because we're going to be dissecting the second annual 2020 Thanksgiving Tough Man for Advanced Training. But the, the more I think about it, the more I realize it is for everybody. And it might even be more for the people that weren't there than the people that were. Because this thing, this thing, and it's only been two years going, it is bigger than just getting up and working out with a bunch of other guys. Right? It, it's bigger than that. And you know, when you take a step back, which I really didn't get a chance to do because I was so involved in setting up the event and coordinating things, but when you take a step back, at least reflect on the comments of other people that were there. When other coaches tell you the things that they're seeing because they, they have that ability to take a step back from that situation and really evaluate things and, and see the bigger picture, what you're seeing is is that this is really creating an opportunity for guys that competed that sweat together, that bled together to come back and do it again. And there's, there's something to be said about doing it again in a way that involves teamwork. That's why when we do this Tough Man, it's not an individual event. It is a team-based event. And there's also something to be said about contact. It's why I do love the game of football. It's probably why the game of football was invented anyway. You know, I think it was... Uh, we had the Civil War in the United States, we had the Spanish-American War, and then we really didn't have any major wars after that. And people just had this need for, I'm not saying that violence is a good thing, but they, there was a need for combat, an organized combat that involved discipline. And for whatever reason, I really believe that smashing into a prowler, or pulling that chain, or tagging your teammate, there is some form of contact that makes this a little different than a, a bench press or a back squat or going out and run at wind sprints. There's something to it. So when you take a step back and look at it, what this thing's doing, it's, it's creating an environment for these guys to get back together and relive those glory days while they're on this field. And what's awesome is you got grown men. Uh, I think we had up to a 55-year-old guy this year. We got 30-year-olds. We got 18-year-olds. I think we had a 16-year-old involved. So you got from 16 to 55-year-old guys getting out there and competing. We have people walking through Owl Howell Park stopping what they're doing because these guys are yelling and screaming at each other, comp competing like madmen. They're screaming at each other. Uh, they're screaming at me basically every round that uh, I don't know how to click the timer. I didn't set the event up right. Uh, I'm a bad guy. Whatever. But these people are getting at it. We also we got uh, the Island Guys podcast uh, do, filming everything, uh, interviewing people afterwards. It's just a sick, sick environment. Again, this is not, hey, let's go to the park and uh, run 10 wind sprints. This is not like, hey, let's meet up and run around some cones. This is guys competing and taking it to another level and doing it as a team-based event. So you got 40 people 
waking up. Who knows what time they woke up. Tom Galley slept in the parking lot after work. I think a couple of guys were there before me. I got there around 5.45 in the morning. This guy's there before me just waiting to go. And we're starting to compete. It's still dark out. So, I mean, this is... It's just sick. It's sick. And what's also great is that these guys, I hear them talking as I'm setting it up. Hey, man, how you doing? What, what kind of job you doing? Now, now it's an opportunity to connect with them on a level of, man, you've grown up. You've matured. You're not the same high school kid I, I knew from eight years ago. Wow, maybe we can network on a, on a company-wide level. Or I, I got guys sending film to in a group chat afterwards of their high school games. And maybe, look, maybe uh, I know that Tony Soprano said uh, – the worst form of conversation is remember when. But sometimes it's good to hang on to that stuff and build and bond with other men. It, to me, it's awesome. Something else Coach Manos brought up because he had his son there. He said it's it's great. His son's a high school kid from uh, uh, Colts Neck High School. They went 7-1. and one. They had an awesome season. He had a couple of his teammates with him. It's great for those young kids to see older guys still say, staying in great shape. Right, and I'm sure you look at your Coach Manos guys benching 500 pounds. They see their dad doing it, but they see other guys doing it, competing and and keeping themselves at this optimal level. So it's bigger than just the tough man. And I'm definitely calling guys out who said I wasn't in shape. I'm not ready. We make this thing relatively easy. It's a tag team event for two reasons. One, I want the camaraderie, and two, yeah, I train about 15 guys on a a weekly basis, so I know how good a shape they're in, but the other guys, I don't know anything about them. Who knows what they're doing? So we keep it in segments so that nobody's going to get sick or puke, and it's it's fun. It's fun. It's competitive, but it's fun. The other part of this is that you guys who say you're going to come and you don't come, this is bigger than you because there are – who did you not impact by you not going? There were guys that were impacted by seeing other people dominate the drills, Right? Or they see a guy like uh, little Jimmy Yuski ripping that sled and doing the slide and say, man, I weigh what he weighs. How do I get that strong? Right? Or, man, that, that guy got so much better from the last time I saw him. What's he doing? How do I make myself better? So who didn't you make better because you didn't come? And we'll talk about this in a little bit. But because there's teams, if you decide to bail or you keep changing your mind... I'm talking about for non-legitimate reasons. I mean, we changed the event, so some guys had work, some guys had to travel. I get that, but if you just <laughs> you just think you don't want to compete that day, well, now you've messed it up for the other guys on your team because you need a certain number of people to compete. We'll get into that, but again, it is bigger than you. So let's talk about what this Tough Man event actually is. Now, most of you people already know because you've done it 100 times or seen it 100 times, but i got to explain it just in case there's some person who's never listened to this podcast before and needs to hear it. So first and foremost, this, this Tough Man event is normally done by one person. But again, back to my thought on teams competing, we're, we broke this entire segment down for six people to do together. Right, So normally one person does it on Thanksgiving. We're going to have six people do it in a tag team format. Two reasons. One, so we can have teams compete together. And two, so that if there are guys that don't feel like they're in the best shape, or there are certainly guys that I don't know what they're doing. I don't think a regular person could just go out and finish a tough man on their own. I don't want anybody uh, getting sick or getting injured on Thanksgiving. So having said that, what we did is we took this event, we broke it into six parts. So I'm going to explain the six part. Part number one, you start with your feet on furniture sliders, put your hands on the ground, and you push your body backwards with those furniture sliders 15 yards. That's, that's part number one of the event. That person gets up, and then they run to part number two. They tag the person at part two. So what's part two? Part two, somebody holds a farmer's walk with 140 pounds on it. They run 15 yards with that farmer, farmer's walk. Maybe you carry it one hand. Maybe you carry it two hands. Depends on how good your grip strength is. You run 15 yards. You put the farmer's walk down, and then you sprint to a prowler. 
You then push that prowler, which has weight on it. You push that prowler 15 yards. I'm going to stop for one second. The weight on the prowler, normally, and the weight on the farmer's walk, the weight on the sled, normally for our Tough Man event, it's standard. It is what it is. That's it. doesn't matter what the weather is. We're going. It's the weight. That's it. Well, for this event, I really base it on the ground conditions because, again, there are guys that I don't know how they've been training or what they've been doing. So I'm not going to go in there and say, yep, uh, no matter what happens, we're going to put 200 pounds on the prowler, and that's it. Now, I put weights on. Uh, I, so I, I, do a, I think I do a relatively good job of lay, laying out what's supposed to happen before it happens. So before it happens, I have a, a, a basically a diagram on the website that says this is what we're going to do. This is how it should go. This is a video of how it should look. This is how we're breaking each thing down. And maybe like one or two guys actually read it. Sometimes those guys, most of the times those guys are the guys that actually win it because they're looking to how to beat the rules, how to break everything down. We'll get back to that later. Anyway, for the weight on the Prowler, last year, 2019, I was going to put 200 pounds on it. We get there, the ground is like scorched earth. I end up dropping the weight down to 120. This year, my plan was, all right, we're going to go with lighter weight. We're going to move faster. I don't want guys getting pulverized by this thing. We had some guys puking last year. I don't want that. This is not what this thing's about. So I lowered the weight down. We lowered it to 160. The ground was a little wetter. So, and when we started, it was a little wetter. So yeah, we lowered it from 200 to 160, but it's still higher than the 120 from last year because guys were saying, hey, how's the weight compared to last year? Well, it's, it's actually 40 pounds heavier. So, so part number two was farmer's walk to a high handle on that prowler. Now, then, now parts three, four, and five are identical. There are three guys, and they each do one 15-yard and back prowler shuttle. So they go from a low handle to a high handle, a low handle to a high handle, a low handle to a high handle. So that takes you through parts one, two, three, four, and five. Part number six is there is a man sitting on a bucket. He's holding a chain that is 15 yards long. It is attached to a sled with weight on it. This year, our sled had 180 pounds on it. So it had 180 pounds on it. And then you pull that chain to your feet, critical point that we'll, we'll talk about later, but that was the rule. You must pull the chain to your feet, and you are then, when you finish with that, you sprint to another set of sliders, and you push yourself backwards 15 yards with those sliders on your feet. So that is the event. If you have six people, they break it up into six parts, and they go. The other part of this is that not all teams had six people. So if you have five people, all of the events are the same, meaning parts one, part two, and part six. The thing that changes is that instead of the guys doing the prowler there and back, uh, there was three of them the, if you have six guys, but if you only have five guys, now you only have two, two guys that can do the prowler, so they must do a there, back, there, and it makes it an absolute nightmare, or makes it a lot rougher if you're tired or you got to turn around. It's a critical point that we'll get into. So that is the actual event. That's what the Tough Man event looks like. Now, how was this thing formatted with teams? Well, what we decided to do, let's talk about last year. Last year was our first year doing it. We had five separate teams, and we said, all right, all five teams are going to go in a round. The team that comes in last place in that round gets a loss. And then if you lost, you're out, and we're going to keep doing it. And just basically it was like a, a battle of attrition. You just keep going and going and going until you're not you don't lose out of a round, and then you go. It took a long time. Uh, it wasn't as interesting as I thought it was going to be, and you learn, right? You, we are a world of continuous improvement, so we learn. So what we did this year is we changed it into an NCAA double elimination bracket style. So what that means is we had teams. We originally had eight teams. Then we had seven teams. Then we had six teams. The bottom line is we had a bracket set up, like the NCAA, where 
If you win, you move on into the winner's bracket. If you lose, you go to the loser's bracket. If you lose twice, you're out. And that's what we did. So we set it up in this NCAA bracket. Now, this is what I'm talking about, guys, who say, I'm, not, I'm just not going to come. I don't want to come. Is that if you have an 18 bracket and you decide to bail, what are the other guys on your team going to do? Because now you've already heard the difference between having six guys and five guys. What if your team has four guys? How do we handle it then? Well, thank God this year we didn't. But also we had to uh, reevaluate teams on the fly the morning of because guys didn't show up. So if you have four guys, you're, you're really even in more trouble. And I won't let you compete with three guys because I did that last year. And Brandon Spears and Nick King, who are two of the biggest, toughest, baddest dudes I ever met, I, I couldn't watch them do, the, do it anymore. I, I said to them uh, yesterday, it was kind of like watching Braveheart when they're pulling its guts out and the people are yelling mercy. Well, I, I felt that way last year. I had to pull them out of the competition because I just couldn't watch three guys do this drill anymore on their own. It was just too, too rough. So think about this. This is not just about you. You say you're going to do something. In my opinion, the definition of success is doing what you say you're going to do. If you say you're going to do something, do it. I have more respect for people that say, uh, I'm not going to do it and immediately. Then, okay, we get it. Now we can move on with our lives. So, anyway, we're supposed to have eight teams. We're getting our teams together. Morning of, uh, here we go, we don't have eight teams. Now, I kind of figured this, so, you know... Planning is useless, but the act of planning is priceless. I have my nephew, Nicholas DeMunda, working with me to help me figure out these brackets, get everything set up. We actually have a grease board ready. We have a grease board ready. I predict so many guys are going to miss that I come with the grease board ready for six teams. Right? We're already ready for this disaster that's going to happen. Now, on the, the website, I have an 18 bracket and a 17 bracket laid out. Now, you think this is simple. Go home right right now. Stop the podcast. Draw up a pen and paper, and you figure out how to do a double elimination bracket uh, for seven, six, seven, and eight teams that is fair. All right? This is something that, well, unless you're like a professional who does this all the time, it's easy. But for me, this is something I never did before, so figuring this stuff out uh, was pretty interesting, but also quasi-annoying because the teams kept changing. Anyway... So we set it up in this six-team double elimination bracket. We have the whiteboard ready. We're getting our teams ready. I'll get back to them in a second. But I want to get to, when I get talked about this event, I want to talk about a couple of rules that people, they really need to understand, for, at least for the next time they do this, that's important. Because you get penalties for time. So essentially, people are doing this, and we're recording their time. Team with the, the shortest time wins, right? So a couple of rules. Rules are... <laughs> I'm going to skip past the no-fly zone. We put in a no-fly zone for a couple of rounds. So with the, uh, maybe I'll talk about the no-fly zone. So no-fly zone was basically this area that you had to stay clear of until the other person completed their drill. It was There was many reasons for it. I won't go into all of them, but we instituted it. Last year and many other years, and what we went back to was a tag rule. So essentially, you finish your drill, you run to the next guy, and you tag that guy. So some of the rules were like, you can't leave until you're tagged. If you leave before you're tagged, we're adding two seconds to your time. Other rules were that you have to be touching the toy as it crosses through the line. So what guys will do, have done, and will continue to do until... Uh, the end of time is they will throw the toy across the line before their body's actually touching it. So if you're carrying the farmer's walk, you can't run it eight yards and throw it seven. If you're going with the prowler, you can't uh, take the, the prowler and throw it 12 yards past the line and just go. So that's another rule. You have to go around a cone. So years before, this is actually the Joe Moretzko rule, people guys were breaking in front of a cone and basically cutting off the drill. They'd throw the toy, they'd cut across the drill and go to the next toy. Nope. That can't happen. And then the other rule was, when you are doing the sled, you have to get the sled to your feet. 
So these were the rules. Guys continued to break these rules, and we continued to, continue to add penalties onto their time. Uh, maybe in other rules, you got to be sitting down on the bucket. I don't know. That was another dispute, because one guy stood up on the bucket. I think it's a little easier to sit down on the bucket while you pull the chain, but yeah, let's throw that as a rule in there, too. you got to be sitting down on the bucket while you're pulling that sled into your feet. You're welcome, A-bomb. I've now added that rule while we're sitting on this podcast. Okay, so these were rules. The, the other thing to think about, and guys were saying this, they learned this lesson from last year, is it's really good to wear cleats. It's good to wear cleats because if you are doing the prowler, you want to be able to dig your feet into the ground, especially as that ground gets dry. So guys who are showing up next year, wear cleats. I know Joe Derrida told his team about 800 times, wear cleats. Because last year, our team had not one, but two guys who didn't wear cleats, and we were instantly eliminated from the competition. So you got to wear cleats. And then thing number three, just for you guys to think about before we actually get into this tough man competition. We spent a lot of time talking without actually talking about the event. Is that there is a massive difference between having five and six guys. There's a massive difference between four and six guys. So it's in your best interest to have six guys. This is two years in a row. Two years in a row that a team that had six guys won. Two years in a row. Last year, the two teams that had six guys, they both made it to the finals. Again, this is not about just you. If you say you're going to show up, show up. You need six guys. Why do you need six guys? Because think about this. Not Forget about fatigue, which is big, right? If you have five guys, let's say five versus six. If you have five guys, there is the fatigue of, okay, instead of my guys doing a there and back, now they have to do a there, back, there with that prowler. And that might not matter for one round, but if you get into your third or fourth round, guys are going to start to get tired. And as teams start to get eliminated, there's less and less of a break between your competitions. So remember, think about this double-A bracket. You win, you move on. You win, you move on. In the beginning, there's all these teams. It's going to take time before you go again. But at the end, there's get less and less teams. Now you're going to go and go and go. So that's one facet of it. Your guys are going to get a little worn out. Thing number two is, it is so much easier if I can tag my partner and he grabs the prowler and goes back versus me running around the back of the, the, the prowler, right? There, there's a massive benefit to that. So think about that. I don't have to take the time to turn around and push the prowler again. Also, fatigue sets in. Now I'm going to be a little slower to run to the guy who's supposed to be sitting on the bucket. So my advice to teams is if you're, if you're really into this, get your six men ready now. Guys that you can count on. Coach Mano said this. Sometimes it's better, I'd say a lot of the times it's better, to go with the more reliable person than the, the flaky person who's unreliable. Man, I... I I can't stand unreliable people. Like, would I trust you to pick me up at an airport? That's First of all, I wouldn't ask anybody to do that. But the bottom line is that that's a big thing. Like, if I can't trust you to pick me up at an airport, I'm not going to trust you to compete with me on this day. Even if, No matter how good you are, if you don't show up, now we're short a guy. Now we're short a guy, and we got to make up for that. All right, so now we're going to get into the six teams that actually ended up competing in this event. And I'm going to explain who they are and why they're seated the way they are. So the number one seed was Team 2014. These were the guys that had won it last year. So out of respect, they had to get their number one seed back. Now these guys only had five guys. So they're already starting a little short, but they still got a lot of dudes that won it last year. The second seed was Team 2013. Last year, they were actually slated to win it, or at least compete very heavily, but they only showed up with four guys. Now Joe Sarno was their team captain. He is a bit headstrong, but he's also very smart. So he'll go into certain things stubbornly, but he learns from his mistakes. So this year, he comes back with a solid group of six guys. They get the numbers two seed. The number three seed is Team Legends. Last year, these guys were the last seed. 
This year, they're the number three seed because I'm watching Coach Manos train these dudes out in New Jersey. He's sending me videos. These guys took, did not take losing lightly last year. So he comes back. You know, Last year, I think they only had four guys, too. Now he comes back with a solid five guys, and we give them Billy Blanco the morning of. Billy Blanco... I would also consider him a legend. There was never a bad practice when he was at St. Joseph-by-the-Sea. He's one of the best uh, leaders I've ever been around. He belongs in that legendary group. So you got these six guys together. They're a solid number three seed. Okay, also the reason Billy Blanco is with that group is because his team, who was a finalist in last year's 2019 Tough Man, they, uh, they disbanded like a few days before this event. We had one guy get sick. We had another guy he had surgery on his wrist. Another guy had work. Another guy went hunting. I don't know. Team disbanded, so only Blanco and Baraji were back from the 2009 teams. So we took those guys and put them on other teams. Anyway, so that's team number three. Seed number four, Team Gryffindor. Uh, this is a team that I seeded fourth out of the six teams because this was a team that actually had all six guys the entire time. It was never a doubt. Like, Shalasi, sorry, uh, Sinandinos was the captain of this team. He got his crew together. He gets his brother. He gets Joe Shalasi. He gets his brother. They get Brandon Prado. They get this monster of a man named Sullivan. They're ready to go, right? This is, a, this is not even an issue of, are we going to have enough guys? So they got six guys. They get the number four seed. And apparently, uh, Sinandinos likes Harry Potter. O- odd name. Anyway, that's seed number four. Seed number five, we give to a group called the Misfit Toys slash Blue Collar Gang. Pick whatever name you like. We ended up taking two teams. There were supposed to be eight teams, remember? 2009 disbanded because of whatever I just said. Now we had the Blue Collar Group, only three guys there. Misfit Toys, only three guys there. What do we do? We take those two groups, we stick them together, and we can call them either one, Blue Collar Group or Misfit Toys. Great group, by the way. Uh, Great group of guys. But they got a low ranking of five because... They don't really know each other all that well. How do they know what guy is going to do the sliders? How do they know what guy is going to do the farmer's walk? I don't know. they got to figure it out on the fly. So they get a low seed. The low S seed. No disrespect to my young nephew, Chris DeMunda. It was the Youngbloods. So Chris DeMunda, he was the, he's the youngest guy that trains in our group right now. He's a freshman in college. He's pulling with him guys that he played high school basketball with, guys he went to grammar school with, guys he knows, guys that are still in high school, so they're the young bloods. What they do, though, is because we have uh, Baraji from the disbanded 2019, we give him this old cagey veteran, Pete Baraji, who now gets to hang out with these young bloods. They may be calling him up to go to DJs this summer. I don't know, but he was uh, the old cagey veteran on their team. And by the way, young bloods, I really commend you on, uh, seems like you guys rolled out of bed after going to some club because I had never smelled so much cologne in my life at a Tough Man event, but you guys did compete like warriors. Okay, so these are your six seeds. Now, in a six-man NCAA-style bracket, sorry, six-team NCAA-style bracket, but what we did is we had a winner's bracket and a loser's bracket. So it's a double elimination. So in the first round, first round coming out of the gate, the 2014 seed, that's the number one seed, and the 2013 team, that's the number two seed, they both get a bye, so they don't have to go against anybody. So, we're going to start off with, let's start with the four seed versus the five seed. That's going to be Gryffindor versus Blue Collar. Gryffindor, first time ever in the event, they score a 140.8. Not bad for the first time they've ever done it. We've had people do it for the first time ever and get over three minutes, 140.8. I was actually relatively impressed for a bunch of guys. I mean, uh, I don't know. Most of them, I had no idea who they were. Then we go to the this blue-collar slash Misfit Toys group. First time working together, they get a 129.6. So immediately, Gryffindor goes to the loser's bracket. Blue-collar advances to the first level of the winner's bracket. Now, the next next ones up are the Legends. That is seed number three against the Youngbloods, seed number six. Seed number six. So the Youngbloods go first. They get a 132.44. Again, pretty good time. 
is a young bunch of young guys. Only one of them's ever seen the event, and they get a 132.44. Pretty good. Uh, third, they beat Gryffindor and a bunch of older guys. They go against the Legends. The Legends get a 140.63. So the Young Bloods also advance in the winners bracket. The Legends. I know Coach Mattis was not happy about their time, but. This is infinitely better than last year. Last year, they, they were hitting three minutes. Now they're down to 140. So now in the winner's bracket, we have still left the 2014 group, the Blue Collar group, the Young Bloods, and 2013. In the loser's bracket, we currently have Gryffindor and the Legends. So let's stay in the winner's bracket for a second. So 2014, they got a bye. They go, they advance to that next round of the winner's bracket. They go into the Blue Collar group. Blue, Blue Collar group goes again. They get a 130.7. A little worse than their first time. But it's good enough to beat 2014. That's right. The number 5 seed beats the number 1 seed, the reigning champions. They send 2014, who got a 1 minute and 32 second time, they send them into the loser's bracket. Now this blue collar group who's supposed to not beat anybody, right? These misfit toys, whatever you want to call them. Here they are. They're coming out of the gate 2-0. Insanity. Complete and total insanity. Okay, young bloods, can you, you're going up against this number 2 seed. Can you pull off the same sort of miracle? Well, they go. They trim over two seconds off their time. They get a 130.2. They're all hyped up. They're pumping their chest. They're putting more cologne on. They got the gold chain swinging around. What are they going to do? Well, 2013 team gets a 1 minute and 29 seconds. So they edge them out by a little under a second. But it's really a good showing by these young bloods. I mean, these young guys never did it before. They're going against this powerhouse of a team. But now they too are in the loser's bracket. So the only two teams currently left in the winner's bracket are the blue collar group and 2013. Right now, we're going to take a shift from the winner's bracket. We're going to go over to the loser's bracket. So now we have Gryffindor. Remember, they lost in the first round. They're going against the number one seed, 2014. So Gryffindor, their first round, they get a 140.8. They go in the next round, they get a 125.6. These guys trim 15 seconds off their time. Unfortunately, it's not good enough when you're going against seasoned veterans, guys who've won this all before. The 2014 team, they regroup. Their first time was 132.8. They pull nine seconds off their time and get a 123.5. So now they advance in the loser's bracket, and Team Gryffindor, it was nice knowing you, but you guys are the first guy out. Pack your bags. Go home. Now, in all seriousness, we love Gryffindor. I'm really impressed by how well these guys did, having not even, only two of them have ever actually done tough man work with me, and none of them have ever done it as a team together. I'm really impressed on how these guys competed. If Sinandinos is serious, Shalasi serious about training, then I think this team's going to be really good. I think they're going to be really good if they get uh, together and actually do this stuff. If they do nothing and just show up next year, they'll probably do a little better. If they actually continue to show up, uh, they're going to be tough to beat. Anyway, they're out. 2014 advances in the loser's bracket. Then we have a rematch. We have the Legends versus the Youngbloods. Remember, the Legends and Youngbloods went first. Uh, they're batting, they went in the first round. The, the Youngbloods beat the Legends. Will they repeat history? The Legends, the Youngbloods go first because they had the lower seed. They get a 128.2. These guys just keep getting better. The first round, they get a 132. Second round, 130. Second round. A third round, they get 1 minute and 28 seconds. Insanity. They're just getting better and better and better. Loving these Youngbloods. The Legends go. Coach Manos reshuffles the deck a little bit. He puts the great and powerful Billy Blanco as the man, the last man, the anchor. You know, if you're running a relay, you put your best guy at the anchor. He puts him at the anchor. He puts him on a sled. Tells him, all right, Billy, you're going to pull that sled. You're going to go on those sliders. Let's kill it. Billy Blanco, he's money in the bank. He's a man I would trust to pick me up from the airport. Billy Blanco's a man I would trust to pick up my kids from school. I trust my life with Billy Blanco. Unfortunately, Billy Blanco has one of the roughest events in his career as an athlete and as a man as he fumbles with the sled. What actually happened to Billy Blanco, and no one noticed it, only a few people who have been around this game before. The field suddenly dried. 
right? It, the field was wet. It was easy to pull that sled, but out of nowhere, the conditions changed. And I think, this is my guess, I could be wrong, I think, you know, you kind of get shocked when you're expecting to feel that chain pull a certain way, and it doesn't. He gets stoned by the sled. He gets stoned by the sled. He's really fumbling through it. Now guys are screaming at him. Guys are yelling at him. Then he gets to the slider, and the ground's a little drier now, right? The ground's a little drier, so now the slider gets stuck. One falls out off, and this guy just falls down and falls down and falls down. He gets a 155, and unfortunately, the legends for two years in a row, now they're two and out. So now Coach Manos, he's done all this work. He's got all these dudes training with him in New Jersey, and again, they're two and out. But I'll say this, Coach, your, your team is, A, they're still relatively young. I, know, I, I say that the bulk of your group was the, the super young guys. And B, uh, way, way, way better than last year. I'm a little nervous of what's going to happen next year because I've seen what you're doing with your guys. So I tip my hat to that group. 7-1 Colts neck team coming out and representing 630, driving across Jersey to get into the, to this competition. So legends are out. Gryffindor's out. Now we're left with the Youngbloods. We're left with the 2014 team in the loser's bracket. And in the winner's bracket, we have the blue-collar group. And we have 2013. So they go head-to-head. Blue-collar group. They go. They're 2-0. Who expected to get this far? Certainly not me. I thought they were going to be 2-1. and done. On their third round, they get a 128. That's 1 minute and 28 seconds. So now that's their best time of the day. They're feeling good. They're pumping their chest. 2013, something happens. Nick Rice gets cleats. That's right. This guy was... One of those guys. He's wearing uh, Chuck Taylors. Might as well be barefoot. Might as well chop his feet off doing this. He gets cleats. They get down to a 122.8. Best time of the day. So now they're the only team left in the winner's bracket. They're sitting pretty. And now they're waiting for the teams in the loser's bracket to kill each other off and come out, see whoever comes out of that little battle. And then they take on that person. So now we got the blue collar group. We got the young bloods. And we got team 24 team all in the loser's bracket. Okay. The way we did this was we had basically a uh, three-teamed event. So whichever one of these teams won, so all three teams were going to go, whichever one of these teams won would advance to the finals. So first group up, we're going to have, uh, I think it was the Youngbloods. They go, they get a 129.64. 129.64. Not their best time of the day, but pretty good. Uh, still better than the first two times of the day. Then the blue-collar group goes. They get a 1 minute and 30 seconds. So... Uh, Jimmy Yuski, who'd been really, really dominating from his, you know, his, I think he weighs like 125 pounds. He's a, a multiple people after the event say that he's one of the, the best guys there. I have skinny guys saying, man, how do I get like him? Anyway, he, he fumbled a little bit. I think he tried to rush a little bit, but hey, it happens, right? It happens, but he still had an unbelievable day. They get a 130. I think if he doesn't fumble, I, I think they're... They're at least beating the Youngbloods. I don't know if they're beating 2014 because 2014 pulls out a 1 minute and 23 second time. So 2014, just like they did, if you guys are remembering back to 2019, they didn't win anything. Like the way those rounds worked, it didn't matter if you won, you just had to not lose. They were never coming in first place. They just kept getting better and better and better. So now 2014, they got the same pattern going on. They have to hit their best time of the day, and now this number one seed who loses in the first round and goes immediately into the uh, loser's bracket, now they win two in a row, and they get themselves into the finals. They're climbing out of the hole, man. Typical A-bomb fashion. Won't let his team not die. Uh, We're going to battle. We're going to battle. Sorry, won't let his team die. Won't let his team not die means they would die. So A-bomb's pulling the group together. These guys are now putting on T-shirts with some marker on it that says, For Ski. So Ski was a guy that was supposed to come, but couldn't because he had to go to work. So they're... Doing this, an homage to Ski. All right, so now we get to the finals. What has to happen now? Because this is double elimination. The 2014 
team must now, if they want to win this whole thing, they have to beat 2013, not once, but twice. They have to beat them not once, but twice. And the way we worked this was, if you were the lower seed, you would always go first in each round. So 2013, even though they are in the winner's bracket, they're the lower seed, they're the number two seed. So this is a big deal, depending on what seed you are. They go first, and they hit 1 minute and 16 seconds. I'll say it again. They hit it 1 minute and 16 seconds. The best time of the day was previously held by them at 1 minute and 22 seconds. So, I I don't know. If I'm 2014, I'd be a little nervous. Now, there was uh, some slight some slight controversy, and I'll speak to it right now. So, and I don't think this makes any difference in the 116. But the rules are, when you go and you pull this sled, you have to get the sled to your feet. 2013 did an excellent job of strategically placing their guys in the right spot on in this competition. Last year, the way we worked it was you had to rotate your guys every round of the competition. They had to rotate, and you couldn't change it. They had to go from one spot to the next so that every guy basically had to do every drill at a certain point. This year, I said, you can put your guys wherever you want in any competition, in any round. The reason I was doing that was, one... I, I want. I think team, last year we let them do that in the finals, and guys seemed to really get into it more. It let them own the process more, and they seemed to enjoy it more. And two, I had a few guys that said, listen, coach, I really want to come. I have X and Y injury. I, I can't do everything. If you can just let me do one thing, I'll come. So I figured, let, let's combine this, and let's make this happen. So 2013 did an awesome job of putting the right people in the right spots. I mean, you have Nick Rice, who deadlifts, like, I think, I don't know, 75,000 pounds. Uh, you can you can fact-check that if you want, but to have him carrying the farmer's walk, very smart. You got, uh you know, Galley Spears King pushing that prowl like it's water. Great job. You got Wallen, who's starting to learn how to use the sliders a lot better. Boom, put him on the sliders. And then you got... Joe Sarno, the guy is completely and totally uh, put on clinics on how to do the sled pull and slider, so you put him as your anchor. You put your best guy at the anchor. Anyway, Sarno does the sled pull, and he had strategically, he's lost a few tough men, because what he used to do was pull the sled into himself, look at it, curse it out, say, I just killed you, go run to the sliders, look back at the sled, say, I just killed you, and then do his sliders. What this Again, he's headstrong, but he, he learns fast. He evolves fast. So now he came up with a new technique that he had asked me about after last year. Like, hey, can I stop it with my foot? I said, yes, you can. So he he's pulling the sled, and he puts out his foot, and he hits it with his foot like a brick. It's a brilliant move. Everybody's yelling at me. This is illegal. I said, he followed the rules. You guys all, if you read the rules, which he did, he was even asking me about the rules before. He was one of the few guys that read them. He's following the rules. And he's in a loophole, yes, but it's a rule, and he followed it. So he put his foot out, he catches it right at his feet. Bang. They hit it, and then he just does like an insanely awesome finish on his sliders. They finish in uh, 116. I think he had like a 17-second, a, a I can't remember. might have been 17-second or 12-second slider. It was 17 seconds. From sled to slider, 17 seconds. Go back and look at other people on the tough man. I think the transition for one of those events is like 17. He did them both at the time that somebody would do one. So now it's 116. Okay. Now we're down to 2013. I don't know. It'd be in my head if I had to go right now. So there, they get lined up. They get ready to go. They go. Uh, they got to do guy do sliders. They have a guy do the farmer's walk to a prowler. They got another guy do the prowler. And Ski's, uh, sorry, Miggs is doing the prowler. And what these guys are doing to not try and overrun the line too far with the prowler. Because one of the problems is the ground's wet. You're going to push the prowler way too far past the line. What this group is doing, you know, there's a couple of techniques. But one technique is to kind of pull back on the prowler a little bit. Like pull it towards you so that it doesn't go too far past the line. Well, Miggs, 
he, you could see that he's jerking this thing up. He's jerking it up, and he does it a couple times, and as he jerks it up, he actually pulls the, the prowler handle out of the prowler. All the weights fall off. Now, in, in uh, challenges past, I have DQ'd people for such an event or such an instance, but I don't want to do that. Right? I don't want the, the tough man to end with this bar hanging out of the, the, farmer, the prowler, and uh, that's, you, know, you never know what could have been. Right? What could have been? We could have beat these guys. So we're like, all right, that's it. We're reloading. We're going again. I can't have it end this way. So there's even more controversy. You should DQ him. This is a disgrace. Uh, your toys stink. Look, my toys don't stink. I've, you know, we've seen that thing happen once or twice in the, I don't know, 18 years or 20 years of advanced training history. But it happens because guys will pull the handles up as opposed to back or throttle themselves down. Anyway, we let them reload. Now, back to, we're going to take a massive step back. A massive step back. Maybe even me talking about at the end of last year's Tough Man or every Tough Man that I hold. Why does Coach Mahoney not compete? All right, everybody wants me to compete. They want this old man to compete. Well, one of the reasons I don't compete is so that I can set up the drills right. There's a method to this madness. You want the drill set up the right way every time to eliminate variation. You want the drill set up the right way every time so that when guys go, it's relatively fair. And it is uh, rather complicated. And also the way we do it, it's relatively efficient, meaning that when one drill ends, it is basically set up for the next drill to go. Right? It's not like we have a, a pit crew there that can realign everything together, nor do I want them to because I don't trust everybody. I actually was watching guys touch my toys all day, putting it in the wrong spot, doing the wrong thing. I had to readjust it. Uh, it's happened before. Guys touch their own toy. They set it up. Anyway, <sighs> fast forwarding for whatever reason on this very last round where I let them do a redo. Coach Mahoney sets up the drill and completely, <laughs> completely wrong so that when they finish their prowler. So we start off, a guy does the sliders, the next guy does the farmer's walk to the prowler, uh, and then another guy does the prowler, and the last guy does the prowler, and he goes to tag a guy on the sled, except there's nobody there for the sled. There's nobody there, because Coach Mahoney set the drill up wrong. And now, we don't know what to do. Like, what the hell do we do? So there's good, you know, Planning is useless. The act of planning is priceless. So we get to this point. I look down at my clock. I look down at my clock, and I know in my mind that there is very, very, very little chance that 2014 is going to be able to beat 2013. Where they are when Beretta finishes his prowler is 1 minute and 3 seconds, 0.5. Remember, the other team won at 1.16. That means that A-bomb is going to have to pull off like a 12.5 a, a second pull. Right, he's gonna have to pull up a 12.5 second pull and slider to win. So I'm like, ah! Like I scream. I, I'm mad at myself for making this happen. Anyway, what we decide to do? Someone comes up with the idea. I think it was Miggs of all people. Miggs, the guy who broke every rule all day, the guy who broke my prowler, the guy who got penalized all day. Said, Coach, why don't we just stop the clock right there, 103.5, and let a bomb pull the chain and do the, the the sliders, and let's just see. Let's see if he can beat it. So. I look at Sarno as their other team's captain. Do you agree with this? He said, yes, we let A-Bomb do it. So A-Bomb, he actually does an awesome job. He pulls it, he pulls it, he pulls it. He gets that sled into himself. He hops on the sliders. He battles through it. Kills it. Except he finishes it in 20 seconds. And Team 2014 loses. They lose. They, they, I think they got a 123 versus a 1 minute and 16 seconds. Team 2013, they are the champs. So there's a lot of learning lessons here. A lot of learning lessons for people. We're going to have film come out. Watch the film. Get yourself ready. If you're listening to this and you're a guy who said, man, I wish I would have came. Come.
He said, oh, I just need to get in shape. Just come. Just show up. Just come. Even if you don't want to compete, just show up. Just show up and be a part of this thing because I'm telling you, guys are talking again. Guys are sharing film with each other. Guys are, are re, they're getting that bond that they hadn't had in a while. This is something that you need. Also, for next year, there's going to be a couple of changes. So we're going to start implementing, uh, one, the Sarno rule. So we're going to have a designated distance. It might not be your feet. We're going to have a designated distance where that sled needs to go to. And two, brace yourselves in the final round, the championship round. What's going to happen is each team is going to pick the order of the other team. So you're going to get to place who goes where in what drill on the Tough Man event. So I've heard a lot of rumblings. Uh, this this, this uh, event was designed for Joe Sarno to win. It's always designed for Joe Sarno to win. And, and Joe Sarno probably thinks I hate his guts. Every guy who thinks that uh, I hate their guts, uh, somebody else thinks I always want them to win. Anyway, so next year, you're going to pick... If you're in the championship, you get to pick who your competitor's order is going to be. So guys who think you're going to hide somebody or stack the deck in a certain spot, you better be ready. All right, guys, that's it. Punching out. Cannot wait to do this again next year. Bye. This podcast is brought to you by MicroSky, your one-stop shop for IT and computer services. Now, I've been a customer of these guys for years, and here's why. They make things easy. My computer had died. They came, picked up my computer, recovered all my data, and then set me up with a new computer in three days. Fully loaded, I just press the on button and I'm ready to go. Made my life super, super easy. Now, they don't only specialize in computer repair. They also specialize in cloud backup, data recovery, cybersecurity, and IT support plans. Do not be like me. Do not wait until your computer dies to get in touch with these guys. Visit microskyms.com slash contact. Microsky, that's S-K-Y-M-S dot com slash contact. If you want a free month of cloud backup, Make sure you put AT2020 in the referred by field in the contact form. Again, that's AT2020. Do not wait like I did. Contact them today.